This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Crazy ways are ever dead And the way you wear your clothes If I stay with you, girl Welcome to Almost Famous Minute where we're discussing the 2000 movie Almost Famous by Cameron Crowe, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Watchmen Minute. And I'm Aaron Stark. I am a public speaker and motivational speaker who, um, yeah, I try to spread positivity everywhere. And I'm Rudy M. Spence from Dokio Presents. Hey, welcome, guys. Uh, we actually had Aaron on last week. He's our co-host for these two weeks. And uh, Rory, glad to have you with us uh, today and hopefully the rest of the week here. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks very much for having me. You're one of our, you're our first uh, for old Watchmen Minute. You're our first guest way back then. Yeah, I know. It's a long time ago now. <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> All 186 minutes, too. <laughs> with That's a long podcast. <laughs> with a hiatus we had, we, we were well over a year, essentially. Um, yeah, so great. This is wonderful. Um, our second week here on uh, Monday for minute four of Almost Famous. Absolutely. So minute four starts with more 60s California street scenes and ends with a conversation between William and Elaine while she's cooking a meal and a young woman looks in the window. Ooh, sneaky. Yeah. The, the, so I was just recently in California and those, oh, those street yeah. scenes look really similar to what it still is like now actually <laughs> yeah wow little little tiny shops all around the corner of the beach and the, the san diego even you're saying yeah right? yeah yeah i remember yeah. seeing that on facebook yeah yeah i was right on south That's beach crazy. in san diego and wow. it looked really similar to that even, even the style of clothing like i brought my my wife home a dress that looked really similar <laughs> yeah. to what the dress the mom was wearing in that scene <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that whole christmas like warm Christmas thing is totally foreign to me. Yeah, that uh, is weird I, to me too. <laughs> yeah, it looks so strange every time. Can't it's pretty weird to me too. I'm I'm from uh, the middle of the country in Denver, Colorado, and it's we don't have warm Christmases here. We have snow like four months of the year. <laughs> yeah. So we had snow last week. Don't know if you want to give away when we're recording, but in April, uh, had a bit of snow here in Scotland. So <laughs> it's and. Uh, it's not common, but unusual, and uh, does happen. So yeah, warm Christmases look. I can't get my head around that Santa wearing shorts at all. But yeah, people on the coast actually do dream of having snow for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, speaking so much of Christmas here, right off the bat, um, I'll go. I'll go into something. I'll try to do. This is this is the most um, the, the the biggest uh, kind of difference so far. Um, there was a little, very small, very couple things last week, but um, uh, this is the biggest difference between the theatrical version and the um, director's cut. That was that's quite a bit longer. Um, 
even more than not that's long in the sense of the Watchmen director's cut, but it's it's has you know almost twice as many minutes, extra minutes than than the uh, theatrical to the director's cut of Watchmen. But um, uh, the big thing with and it's called Untitled, um, uh, Cameron Crowe's director's cut. It's this big tiff argument that she gets in with the you see it just barely that that there's this one guy painting the outside of a, of a store on a window mm-hmm. window front um and he just has m-e-r-r so far at that point but it's a moment a few a minute later a few minutes later apparently and he is putting in the letters x dash m-a-s and mm-hmm. she gets into this big argument with him um saying that that is not a word in the English language. It's either Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, she says. Well, and uh, I I recently learned an odd fact about that that actually is the X is an old way to legitimately write Christ. It was... Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, the, the huh. Xmas back in the early days of forming the, uh, the Greco-Roman language down in written form, they used the X to mean Christos. And so it was the shorthand way to say the, the, the name Christ. So it actually Christmas could actually have been written as Xmas at one time. The, the odd part would have been the mus, actually. There would have been another symbol that would have stood for that. So that's the part that's actually out of place. It would have been something like X, XIV or some weird thing like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've actually saw that scene uh, when I was rewatching the film. So I must have watched that version of it and noticed oh, okay. it was gone here. But I think it's probably for the best that it's gone. I don't think it's entirely necessary. I think you get enough of a character <laughs> from the upcoming yeah, minutes right. that you don't need a bit extra of her just uh-huh. arguing with somebody. It's not even an argument. He just kind of accepts it and doesn't change what he's doing at all. It just sort of says, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I actually like that it kind of keeps the thread of this this minute here where we're in, where they're talking about literature and old yeah. classical uh-huh. ideas. And, yeah, and he, I, it seems like the mom's trying to more expand the son's ex- sphere of influence and the things that he might be into, as opposed to always constantly being aggressive and browbeating, which she definitely, her character becomes that later on for a time. But in, in, the, in the front, it gives us a good bit of compassion that it's there's still a lot of warmth and love in the mother-son relationship. Yeah, and I like how William seems genuinely interested in everything she's saying here. And, but also knowledgeable. Impressed, but he's he has read up on it and is able to come back with his own ideas yeah. and concepts from it. Shows that they've yeah. talked about this more than once. Well, yeah, and, and the, the, I mean, the very last thing we hear him saying is, tell me more about Livia, and that's all this whole digression from what they were just talking about it's it was to, to kill a mockingbird and then there's this livia thing and i i did look into that a little bit if we can we can certainly talk about that now if you want or mm-hmm. hold off mm-hmm. a few minutes if you want yeah no that's a bit about that was she's the mother of tiberius yeah emperor tiberius right yeah i don't know much more than that but <laughs> what but, well and, and and even what's i think is said uh this is, is it said does she say does she really yeah, back? Right yeah she killed everybody so her son tiberius could inherit and we'll find out more yeah. on that well, but, but yeah the, go ahead to kill a mockingbird also would hold seem seemingly would hold a thematic kind of parallel to the story in a way where the main character is bucking the trend and going against type to go into to fight against the system whereas william is trying to enter the world of being a reporter when he's 
doesn't quite fit the normal qualifications Mm -hmm. but he's still trying to to push forward and and hit elements that most people don't usually uh hit in their interviews and that would be i would seem that there would be a similar thematic element between atticus finch's um fighting for the underdog and william trying to navigate being a underdog himself in this world of grown-ups oh wow good good insight there yeah Yeah, and and one of the uh throughout the 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 subsequent uh children of uh generations on down the line after livia is i mean we get um uh, the couple that stand out the biggest for me are caligula and nero (laughs) that that follow um livia and then tiberius yeah. Well, that's it's quite quite the lineage you have there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At least you have the partying before the fall, you know, because Caligula—that's all the massive partying and orgies and destruction. Yeah, and right. you have Nero just fiddling while the raw Rome burned. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. maybe that's a parallel to uh, the mom's extreme overbearingness—that she needs to protect her son from becoming a Nero and burning down the village. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, we could talk a little bit about now, um, since we're since we're talking about the characters, we could talk about the the actors playing them. Uh, Francis McDormand playing Elaine Miller, William's mom. I've always been a huge fan of Francis McDormand. Mm-hmm. I, I loved her back when I first met, saw her in Fargo. And okay. Yeah. She was that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that was definitely her standout. But then I I know I saw Raising Arizona before I saw Fargo. I mean, I saw it just like you know a year or two after it came out on H when it was on HBO. You know, I never even realized that was her. Yeah, right. Because it was even before that when she's married to one of the Coens, I think Joel. Yeah. Oh. Um, and because uh, she's also in their previous effort, uh, the uh, the one I've seen the least probably, um, uh, the um, on on a blank. Blood simple. Oh, what? Yeah, blood, blood simple. simple. Thank yeah. you. Yes. I don't. I don't believe I've ever seen blood simple. No, I haven't either. But yeah, yeah, she's she's the the. Hi's boss's wife <laughs> when they come over and have all the kids. <laughs> She's really good at absorbing herself into the role and, yeah. and just kind yeah. of letting, letting the character speak for itself and not really putting her own personality into it. She, in a way she kind of reminds me of a female William H. Macy. Well, yeah. And, and it's, it, and I think doing that is what is kind of probably the, the thing with what character actors do. I mean, that's, that's kind of maybe like the definition of character actors, mm-hmm. um, the way you just put it. And, and 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 for women, for a woman to be doing a, being a character actress is pretty, I think, amazing. And and I think she might be the best. Yeah, especially with such, um, yeah. I guess, non-emotional characters mm. that don't seem to hit. Because from from most from what I've seen in most of her roles that I've seen, at least, it's they're more stoic, more like reserved, much more. A lot more facial emotional expressions and a lot less like crying, crying and wailing and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she seems to really excel at that kind of like um, quiet resolve kind of acting. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially in like three billboards. I have it's not seen that really yet. I've, 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 I still really want to see that. I've heard excellent reviews. Yeah, she has incredible yeah. one as well. Yeah, she's really yeah the the, the main role in that one. So yeah. it's, I'm I'm glad that she finally kind of got that. I mean. Fargo was pretty close to a main, the main role, but yeah, um, yeah, there's a lot of other help there, but not that there isn't some great help in <laughs> three billboards. But. I'd put her tied with Steve Buscemi. It's hard to, hard to argue that that's not a Steve Buscemi movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I think it's a good mix between the three. Yeah. Him and William H. Macy yeah. and, and her. Yeah. yeah. But then the other two uh, Coen Brother movies I, that really stood out for me and I, I jotted down real quick were Hail Caesar and Burn After Reading. And her part yep. in Hail Caesar was much smaller, though. Yeah. Now, did, did the Coens do, didn't the Coens do Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes. Yeah, that, that's my favorite Coen movie. So how how accurate do you think this scene was to Cameron Crowe's actual life growing up? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. So one we should continually be asked. <laughs> yeah. I should be continually be asked. I'm going to take that. I'm going <laughs> to. Um, well, well, the the biggest thing I've I've found out recently is that um, his father was in this was in his life was around for I think a good while. Uh, into his career and so forth after he grew up out of adolescence and that we this, this is all we essentially see here in this whole movie um but um you know I, the 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 mother son and mother daughter relationship with his with William's sister is is extremely important and those those three are definitely is what's um I, I think is pretty accurate. There's one bit of a change that I will definitely mention at the end of the movie. <laughs> um, but I'd be glad to off mic. We can talk a little bit about that or yeah, unless you think you might want to come back on near the end. <laughs> talk about it then. Well, uh, Cameron Crowe's biography says that he did skip um, kindergarten and a couple yeah. grades in elementary school. So having him having these deep discussions with his mom and talking about literature and thinking about Atticus Finch and yeah. that, that would seem to be pretty in line with what his real story would be. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking so much about him. Um, so the young actor playing him is Michael Angarano. Angarano. <laughs> um, I've, I, you know, and I actually was most familiar with him myself um, from Kevin Smith's Red State. Um, before oh, I kind of, yeah, he is in that. What character yeah. is he in? Well, I, I love that. So, have you seen it, Rory? I haven't. No, I haven't. Seen oh, it. you haven't seen it? Well, no. uh, there's there's three young guys, teenagers that uh, you know are are the main kind of uh, protagonists, <laughs> um, and and yeah, he's. I think if I, I can put it to this way, uh, without spoiling it, maybe for <laughs> Rory, um, Aaron, um, is he's. I, He's the last one. Okay. To, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah. Um, but um, but then uh, but I was saying that for me, like I kind of found out who he was. I kind of kind of got a little familiar with all three of those um, young actors, teen teenager actors that that Kevin Smith got for that movie. Found out a little bit about them, and then found out, oh, that's the kid from Almost Famous, and then and and since then, I've gotten just more. I fall, I've fallen more in love with Almost Famous, so I've I've kept those those two roles as being the the highlights. But then he was also up for the Phantom Menace, right? Yes, but, I was. You know, he, he was a very close contender at the end of, of casting for that Jake Lloyd ended up getting, okay. who hasn't had a pretty life. <laughs> yeah, and 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 would probably have really wished that Angarano yeah. got that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see him playing that. I can see him in the, the role of Anakin. Yeah. He also Just played evidently hit the lead role in a uh, movie that I th- always kind of loved cheesily, uh, Sky High, the oh. superhero uh, cheesy family comedy from Disney Channel. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I believe, it was starred Kirk Douglas or Kirk. 
Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell. Kurt Russell. <laughs> Not Kirk Douglas. <laughs> Kurt Russell. Starting Kurt Russell as a teacher for a superhero high school. So yeah, he was in that movie as well. Well, and then there is the uh, the current TV show. I don't know if he's continued, if he's had a, if it's been a long running role on it. On This Is Us, he plays Nick Pearson. Oh, really? So I don't watch that, but yeah. I lo- I love This Is Us. That actually that is a fantastic role. I didn't I had no idea that that that's You've been watching that it, it. Yeah, I do. I watch it. I watch it every time. We my family we watch it every day or every week and we cry. It's fantastic. One of the best TV shows in years. And that is a fantastic part. I had no idea that was the same actor. <laughs> that shows a, a big range. That Nikki part yeah. in This Is Us has a lot of emotional depth to it. Yeah, wow. he plays he yeah. plays a Vietnam veteran who mm-hmm. is a drug addicted who was left in Vietnam by his brother, and then when they finally discover him, he's living alone in a trailer and is refusing help because he would prefer to be addicted. And I am familiar enough with the show that it's that has the flashbacks, right? So he's that's yeah. in the latter. It's in the well, it, he, he's in the flashbacks and in the present day. Like really? his flashbacks are Vietnam. Present day, they find him in the trailer. And so it's wow. he plays both, and and it's, with that you see the range that he can do the makeup of yeah playing, right that's what I was gonna say made up seventy year old yeah wow cool yeah um and we've also talked so we've also been talking a little bit about To Kill a Mockingbird so far um and the biggest thing I know there is that I kind of came across um and I'm not sure what other movies by Cameron Crowe. Uh, they could be, but uh, um, supposedly there are some other references that he's put um, in uh, his other movies uh, to 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 kill Mockingbird. Hmm. That that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not familiar with any of them. That would not surprise me at all. And I actually just did last night watch Elizabeth Town for the first time, which is I could see some similarities between this and <laughs> that movie, but I, I definitely prefer this one at this point. <laughs> So I'm glad I'm doing this and yeah, like that one of his. I've never seen that one. Yeah. I've never seen that one either. Yeah, I don't think many have. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on To Kill a Mockingbird and what they're talking about? Those characters? Boo? Uh, no, not really. I think uh, Aaron kind of covered it there with the, earlier with the um, so underdog story being quite relevant to the story. Uh-huh. Yeah, the the parallel between um, William trying to come up as being beyond his years with with ability and intelligence, but obviously too young for the job, and trying to fit in for it. The it's similar to the way that Atticus mm-hmm. Finch is really talented in his position, but but doesn't quite fit in with both the social structure and the people around him, yeah. and he has to kind of find mm-hmm. his way and fit mm-hmm. to get his goal accomplished. And both both of them fight against the standards that are put in place. Atticus Finch fights against the racism that in the culture, whereas uh, William fights against the the his mom trying to state that everything is evil and he has to stay home and be a homeschool student, or the equivalent of one there, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did uh, greatly skip over if if we wanted to. I just had a little thing on each uh, the two uh, last little bits of credits. Uh, we covered last week, you know, mm-hmm. off and on, not honestly everyone, I don't think. Um, but uh, uh, Lisa Stewart being the first one uh, who was, yeah, co-producer Lisa Stewart. And then produced by Cameron Crow and Ian Bryce. So 
on Lisa Stewart, I had, you know, it was just, there was just a couple other times she's worked with Crow on the Pearl Jam uh, doc and uh, right. on Jerry Maguire. But of, but of his other normal, normal uh, narrative movies, um, just Jerry Maguire and this one, Almost Famous. I think that Jerry Maguire, out of the ones that I've seen of Kevin Crow, Jerry Maguire has the most visually similar with this movie. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably the most most mainstream and popular. I mean, he he, he won for screenwriting for in the in the Oscars for this. Yeah. Um, it was nominated for like like three other things, I think. Um, but Jerry Maguire, I think, I think took home at least a couple, if not more. I mean. For the caliber of acting that they had there, I'm not saying I'm not putting anyone down in this. I love so many of these actors that are playing these roles, but uh, but uh, Tom Cruise and Cuba Gooding Jr. are <laughs> are pretty high up there, especially at that point. Yeah. They really made Cuba. The, the biggest thing I had on Ian Bryce, I mean, he had no other Crow stuff that I could see, but where he started out in show business <laughs> in the Hollywood movie movie business is uh with mid in the mid 80s like you know uh, doing pa production assistant stuff with uh lucas okay with uh you know, at, at the, the, the like the very first one return of the jedi but then he went on with like the ewoks movies tv movies and oh geez i think my, like willow or one of the other one of those so he basically loved to put little people in costumes yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> quite quite likely that could be yeah and here he that's... is he's working with kids too. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, either he was just a glutton for punishment or they like to give him the really hard jobs because I hear that working with kids is terrible <laughs> yeah. on film sets. <laughs> what What is it that WC, WC Fields said about animals and kids? Yeah, yeah. Don't ever work with dogs or kids. Yeah. I, I do like the uh, the the way that we have the Christmas, the Alvin and the Chipmunks song still playing all the way through this the majority of the clip yeah i was gonna say as well this is as a weird song to open a film about music on (laughs) yeah well and for me it really hits home because i had a fisher price record player and that was one of the songs on on one of the records i had um i certainly have like mary poppins and and jungle book and things like that but but there was Mm. like a compilation and that was one on it um that i i enjoyed a lot and listened to a lot i had uh I think it was one of my aunts. I had an old uh, little, one of those little plastic record players they used to have mm-hmm. and with like a 38 on it. And I used to, I would have the Alvin and the Chipmunks record that we used to play all the time. And we used to try to slow it down to see what it looked like. <laughs> what it sounded like when it was actually slowed. <laughs> yeah. The, that that's the Alvin and Chipmunks is such a uh, fascinating uh, little phenomenon there. Those, that, the company that owns Alvin and the Chipmunks, they can't let anybody else use them. Like only they're they're the only. What was it that I just I just listened to a thing, show about the other day? The Alvin and the Chipmunks company that the the production company that made Alvin and the Chipmunks, they it's the only thing that they own, and so everything Alvin and the Chipmunks, they're the only ones that they have a say in it. Like they, whenever they take it to a station. Instead of having to be packaged like most most shows have, like they're all owned by a, a, a umbrella group. Like WB owns like thirty different cartoons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like this one one family owns the Alvin and the Chipmunks, so they have complete control over everything with it. So it's mm-hmm. they have to go through a lot of red tape to play any Alvin and the Chipmunks anywhere. 
I'm kind of surprised they got the rights to the music actually. Well, yeah. And that's, that's a huge thing definitely for a, another band that we'll certainly talk about actually momentarily, but um, actually the one last thing um, then I'd like to talk about is, is it, it, it relates to the, like what I was saying earlier that with to kill a mockingbird and it's, you know, it's um, he's, he's listing these three thing these quality, three qualities um, in, in conversation with his mother there. And, but then he comes up with the fourth thing <laughs> that gets him into trouble. He should have stopped at three. <laughs> three is a good round number, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, but he comes up with that fourth thing of the um, Atticus being the sole <laughs> razor raising person, raising the kids. That's Calpurnia is, it, is there. That yep. Helps too. Yep. And that with the mom being a single mom, raising both the kids. Yeah. In the movie. A, good mirror image in a sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's almost like he says that to kind of impress his mum a little bit, and that's the one that she doesn't like. It's quite funny. Yeah, right. In a way, he kind of, Kevin Crow kind of uses this opening monologue from William, or this opening diatribe between the two of them at least, to kind of set thematically the scene for the rest of what's going to be going on in the movie between the rebellion of William against his mom and against the society, and the mom having being raising his family as a single parent, and the different social stresses that are going to be happening and fighting against uh, uh, censorship that, that they all kind of, in, in a way they kind of, he kind of sets up the, the main struggle of the movie with just this little conversation. Yeah. Well, I think the very last thing I have would be what's on the marquee behind them as we're walking down the street here towards the camera. And it's that that first one. Uh, apparently, that's 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 actually not the a name of a movie, but it's I think it's Francois Tr- Truffaut, his name Truffaut, just just his last names there for uh, Stolen Kisses. That's a 1968 mm-hmm. uh, romantic comedy drama film by him. But then right underneath that, it says "Don't Look Back," <laughs> which is uh, "Don't Look Back," the uh, Bob Dylan. Uh, yeah. documentary by uh, D.A. Pennebaker, which I'm pretty sure I've watched once or twice. I'm kind of surprised there's not more Dylan in the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's only really essentially one one reference to him. Actually, I think it's two, but they're both referring to the same <laughs> thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, very it's quite funny. Been talking about Dylan again here. Yeah, what did the Watchmen yeah, being so some yeah right. Mm. Yep. Um, well, speaking of musicians and bands, unless you guys have anything else. Nope. That's yep, good. Um, so for Rory, because we we got uh, Aaron's take on this last week, but for Rory, um, so there's the four bands that that uh, are considered to. I think are the are the most heavily considered to um, make up the band Stillwater that we haven't gotten yeah. to yet in the movie, but hopefully everyone watching knows that there's going to be this one main band that kind of goes throughout it throughout it uh, without giving away any spoilers. I'll do something similar like we did with Watchmen, which was kind of keep a couple things close to the chest of how things play out. But um, but uh, uh, between Almond Brothers Band, uh, Eagles. Led Zeppelin and Leonard Skinner. Uh, Roy, would you be able to give us a ranking on your just your general opinion? Um, sure. Uh, yep. Favorite to least favorite, or vice versa. 
Yeah, uh, my favourite of them would be Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, when I was getting into playing music myself when I was 14, oh, learning yeah. the drums and guitars, they, they were huge for me. Uh, so yeah, got very much into them. Uh, it would be the Eagles, probably. Yeah, the uh-huh. Eagles. Not as big into them, but I do really like uh, a few of their songs. Especially... Um, Oh, I've gone blank in the title of my favourite Eagles song. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, give it. Uh, that is really annoying me. Take it easy. Oh. I don't know how that escaped my mind, but take it easy. <laughs> I love a lot. We also, since learning guitar and stuff, I'll, I play the banjo now as well. And it's got a great little banjo riff in it, which I love playing. So, uh, they'd be second. And then. It's. Scannard, Leonard Scannard, I guess, because I don't know. <laughs> I just, again, I like a couple of their songs. I'm not as big into them either. And uh, I don't really know much of the Allman Brothers at all. I know a couple of their songs, so I can't really put them any higher. Not that I dislike them, I just have never gotten into them. Sure. Well, this, is, this is very much uh, uh, something I thought of in relation to when I was listening to Star Wars Minute. <laughs> Uh, not too long yeah. ago, and just hearing over and over again, uh, uh, the good old Pete and Alex uh, ask ask their guests yeah. to rank the movies, the, yeah. all, all the Star Wars movies, and yeah, just like just like for those, uh, yeah, it's it's not like you, it's not like I hate you hate any one of the bands or <laughs> yeah, who hates any of the movies besides Last Jedi? Some people, not me. Um, I, I love Last Jedi. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I want to go on record just flat out saying that I actually think it's the best Star Wars movie since the original trilogy. That yeah, I think, that. Yeah, I think that they the the uh, what was it? The Force Awakens kind of went in a weird direction that I wasn't a fan of, and I uh-huh. really did not like any of the prequel trilogies. Uh-huh. I was not impressed with the Solo movie, and. And what was that? Rogue Rogue One? Rouge One. I, I fell asleep four times trying to watch that. Oh, movie. no. I just can't make it through I mean, it. That, that was just one viewing? and No, no I tried four times to watch it every no. time I fell oh, asleep. Oh, okay. Four different so, watches. Okay, yeah, well. I just can't get through that movie. But Last Jedi, I, I've, I love every bit of it. I thought that was fantastic. So I know I'm in the minority among Star Wars fans, but... <laughs> I don't think that is true. I think that's a loud minority who hate it. Yeah. Well, it's been a great first minute or uh, fourth minute, actually. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, uh, so, Star Wars minute. Um, uh, so, uh, Roy, you'll be able to make it back, uh, not tomorrow, but Wednesday? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Got my schedule cleared. We're a three-day-a-week podcast here. It's a big change for me. I'm going to have to work it in my brain. <laughs> no more five days a week, three days. Yeah. Okay, so we'll see y'all all uh, on Wednesday uh, for minute five. And until then, it's all happening. It's all, it's happening. all happening. I am a golden god! Yeah.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 